Hello, welcome to CX Stories. I'm Tashara Dibley, Deputy Director at the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre, and I'm very excited to be speaking today with Dr. Elizabeth Kramer about her research on tobacco control in Indonesia. Dr. Elizabeth Kramer, or Liz, as I will be referring to her as, is also a Deputy Director at the, the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre, and as it happens, we share an office but we haven't actually talked about her work on tobacco control. So welcome, Liz. Thanks, Tashara. Great to be here. So Liz, I was interested to read in one of your papers that Indonesia is bucking a worldwide trend by being one of the only countries in the world to not reduce its smoking rates at all since the 1990s. Could mm -hmm. you talk us through this a little bit? What is the scope of cigarette consumption in Indonesia? That is a great question, Tashara, and a really good place to start this conversation because I think knowing the statistics is really helpful in understanding the scope of the tobacco problem in Indonesia. And a few of our viewers have probably been to Indonesia. They've probably seen firsthand how prevalent smoking is. It's very normalized. When you go to Indonesia, you We'll see cigarette advertising everywhere. It's very much part of day-to-day -day experiences in Indonesia. But if we look at the statistics themselves, Indonesia becomes more significant for a number of reasons. So firstly, Indonesia has one of the largest smoking populations in the world. It is third behind China and India. In terms of the statistics that are available, and we have to remember that statistics are estimations, they're not firm numbers, the mortality statistics in Indonesia are pretty shocking. The World Health Organization estimates that in 2018, there were 225,700 deaths from smoking in Indonesia, and that constitutes 14.7% of all deaths in the country. So at least one in six deaths is directly linked to smoking. In terms of smoking uptake at the moment, the most recent statistics we have are from the 2018 National Health Survey, which was conducted by the government of Indonesia, and that estimates that 65% of adult males are smokers and 5% of adult females are smokers. So with Indonesia's current population of around 270 million people, we are looking at around 60 million smokers in the country. That's huge. I knew that it was a problem in Indonesia, but those numbers paint a really concerning picture. Um, so why? I guess that's the question that comes up when we've known and so many of us know the health risks associated with smoking. Why has it been so difficult to bring these numbers down? Well, there is a very complex interplay of political, economic and cultural factors that create a situation where it is really difficult to regulate for better tobacco control in Indonesia. Just to give you some background to this and how difficult it is, Indonesia is one of only two countries in Asia that hasn't ratified the World Health Organization's Framework Convention for Tobacco Control, and the only other country in Asia is Afghanistan. So China, India, Japan, Korea, all of the largest countries where smoking is prevalent have all signed on to this international agreement. Indonesia is still holding out and it doesn't look like it will be signing anytime soon. To go back to your initial question about why it's so difficult, I will start with the economic side of things because I think that's probably where one of the biggest bottlenecks is. 
When it comes to the economic influences on tobacco control policy, there are two main things to look at, job creation and tax and excise income for the government. So I'll talk about each of these separately. Firstly, one of the arguments against stricter regulation is the notion that the tobacco industry generates a huge amount of employment for Indonesian citizens. So we're not just talking about farming and production, but also sales, marketing and associated industries. There were statistics that were released by the Ministry of Industry in March 2019 that estimated that 5.98 million jobs are created by the tobacco industry annually in Indonesia. And there are some questions about how reliable these statistics are because the Ministry of Industry is fairly notorious for supporting the tobacco industry more broadly. But even if the figures were exaggerated, we're still talking about millions and millions of jobs. The second argument or the second reason why it's so difficult economically to regulate the industry is because tobacco tax and excise generate a huge amount of income for the national budget. So in 2018, tobacco excises generated approximately 153 trillion rupiah, which is 10.3 billion US dollars. And the Ministry of Finance has taken a pretty utilitarian approach to tax and excise. The Minister for Finance has expressed sympathy for the need to regulate tobacco. But as far as the government is concerned, or at least that portfolio is concerned, their job is to keep the economy healthy. And the idea that a strong cigarette industry that employs a lot of people and generates a lot of revenue for the government is important is something that continues to influence the way that the government approaches tobacco. So in your one of your papers, you talk about Indonesia being a, a bit like a Disneyland for tobacco companies. And I think some of the economic stuff you've discussed gives us some insight into why that might be the case, but I'm sure there are political factors as well that play into this. Yes, for sure. And firstly, I can't take credit for that term. It was actually coined back in 2013 in a paper written by Webster. But it is a very eye-catching term. (laughs) And it sort of evokes a lot of the ideas about why it would be so difficult to regulate the tobacco industry, but also the opportunities that a country with a population like Indonesia and lax regulations would have for people who want to sell cigarettes. But in terms of the political issues, there are a few. So firstly, I would say that economic nationalism is a huge influence when it comes to regulating the tobacco industry. Indonesia is quite notorious for economic nationalism. In terms of the domesticity of the industry, the bulk of cigarettes sold in Indonesia are actually produced in Indonesia. So this means that it is a wholly national industry. There is a political sense that supporting it, making sure it remains profitable, is not just good for the domestic market, but it's also good for the nation. So that's the first thing. Another interesting point of context for the cigarette industry is that it is pretty much concentrated in the island of Java. And when I say Java, I mean Central and East Java. And these are two of the largest voting populations in Indonesia. So the idea of threatening an industry that employs so many people in a politically significant part of the country 
is something that local politicians will be very careful about. And to give you an idea of the political weight, almost 60% of Indonesia's population resides in Java. And if you look at the results from the 2019 presidential election, you would see that Jokowi would not have won if not for the strong support that he received from Central and East Java. So they do recognise it as being significant. The last political issue that I think is worth mentioning here is that people who are involved in the tobacco industry, some of them are fabulously wealthy. (laughs) So if you go to the Forbes Rich List for 2019, the richest people in Indonesia are Budi and Michael Hartono, And their family's wealth comes from the Jarum cigarette brand, which was started by their father. And if you look at the second highest person on that Forbes rich list, it's Susilo Wanawidojo, who is the heir to the Gudangaram company. And they are one of the most prolific clove cigarette manufacturers in Indonesia. And although they don't get explicitly involved in politics, There is an understanding that they have a lot of influence and they can make themselves heard if they want to. So politicians are reluctant to get on their bad side. And at the same time, the tobacco lobby has a lot of money. They have a lot of money to throw around, particularly in the Indonesian parliament. They have access to people at the top of a lot of political parties and they have almost certainly had direct influence in shaping particular legislation that relates to their industry. So that's, what would you call it, under-the-table lobbying maybe, but it definitely exists. So all of these political factors and sort of the economic incentives to keep the tobacco industry alive are also playing out within a very unique cultural context. Could you explain a little bit about the relationship there? That is a really interesting question, and I think it also touches upon some of the really unique factors for tobacco control in Indonesia that you just don't see in other countries. Quite often, a lot of arguments against tobacco control get caught up in discussions about nationalism and cultural identity. And the reason that that is possible and the reason that it happens is because of Kretek cigarettes or clove cigarettes in Indonesia. And this idea that that particular type of cigarette is somehow indigenous to Indonesia. So companies like Gudangaram, Sampurna, Jarum, they have all worked really hard to promote Kretek cigarettes as being integral to Indonesian identity. If you go to the Sampurna Museum in Surabaya, you will see all kinds of advertising from the 1950s, 1960s, 70s of, you know, people in traditional Indonesian dress smoking Kretek cigarettes. There's a very detailed history about how Kretek cigarettes came to be initially as a medicine in the 1800s. And there is this idea that foreign cigarettes exist and they come from other countries, but Kretek cigarettes are Indonesian. And therefore, they need to be respected as Indonesian and protected as Indonesian. There have been efforts, political efforts, to give Kretek cigarettes a kind of protection as part of cultural heritage in Indonesia. 
it hasn't quite got into that stage yet, but, you know, we'll see what happens. All right, so you painted this really rich picture of how many barriers are in the way of making change to tobacco regulations. Just to wrap it up, maybe you could talk to us a little about who are the people campaigning against the tobacco industry in Indonesia? Sure. If you think about the myriad of social movements in Indonesia, I think you could say that the tobacco control activist movement is quite small. It's primarily made up of doctors, medical doctors, public health advocates and academics. And their main goal, as you can imagine, is to decrease smoking rates across Indonesia. Most of them have worked in coalitions together, so it's a fairly cohesive movement, even though it's quite small. And a lot of their advocacy efforts have been focused at the government, both in terms of creating stricter regulations for tobacco sale and tobacco intake, as well as implementing the existing regulations. So there are a lot of regulations that actually already exist in Indonesia, particularly related to advertising, which are just very rarely enforced. There are also a number of restrictions around where people can smoke, particularly in public spaces and government buildings, and the degree to which those regulations are actually enforced really depends on where you are, and and there's not a lot of consistency with that. So there is a bit of lobbying by tobacco control advocates for those kinds of things. Probably in the last couple of years, the main strategy that they've had has been to focus on tax and excise in Indonesia. If you look at research that's been done around the world about effective strategies for decreasing tobacco consumption, the main successful strategy is to increase the price. So to make tobacco products prohibitively expensive for a lot of people, so they have no choice but to quit. Now, in Indonesia, this is actually quite difficult because of the law on excise, which was passed in 2009, which actually has within it an excise limit. There is a maximum excise that can be applied to cigarettes. It is 57%, whereas the World Health Organization recommends a minimum of 70%. So basically, in Indonesia, there is a legislative ceiling, which prevents it from being able to reach world standards when it comes to tobacco taxes and excise. Now, advocates have been lobbying really strongly against this. They've been trying to work with the Ministry of Finance to come up with specific tax structures that would circumvent this particular legislation. But it's really difficult because anything that gets approved through the ministry still has to go through parliament. And there are a number of people in parliament who are very sympathetic to the tobacco industry. I will say, though, that it hasn't all been bad news. As of uh, the beginning of this year, cigarette prices increased by 23%, which brought the taxation on cigarettes to very close to the legislative ceiling. So it'll be difficult to increase them anymore. But that was a big win. And there was a lot of debating within the Ministry of Finance about whether this should go ahead. It was 
politically sensitive, particularly because they were supposed to increase excise in 2019 and then they didn't. And it was, well, the understanding was that it was basically a political decision that Jokowi didn't want cigarette prices rising in an election year because he was worried that people would use it as a reason not to vote for him. There was a lot of controversy, there was a lot of debate, but it's gone through. So as of uh, the beginning of this year, cigarette prices went up 23%. That's so interesting. Thanks so much for sharing your research findings with us today. And I look forward to hearing more about it down the track. Thanks for listening to this podcast from the Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at the University of Sydney. For more podcasts like this, look up Sydney Southeast Asia Centre at soundcloud.com.